When I was young, I grew up doing Taekwondo. I know I've shared that many times before. It's kind of a huge part of my life, kind of dominated everything I did between the ages of four and 16. And uh, when I was really young, I want to say maybe seven or eight, I was in my first tournament, and I would do tournaments every other month or so. And Taekwondo is a kicking martial art, right? So you're always kicking, and it's what I learned to do. You get points for kicking in tournaments. You get zero points for punching, so I never did. So I was doing pretty good uh, in my weight class, in my belt division, and, and through the rounds, I was winning my matches. I was kicking and winning. You get one point for a kick to the chest. You get two points for a kick to the head. And so I'm, I'm doing pretty good, and I'm mar marching my way up the ranks. And then I come to my last match, and this guy, he'd been studying me. Or maybe his coach was studying me, and he was listening to his coach. And, and he said, and well, well, so the referee started the match, and this guy ran up to me, and he just stayed close to me. He stayed inside where my feet could get, and I couldn't win. So then he would punch me, push me back, and then he would kick me in the head, and I would lose. And my coach is yelling something at me. He's yelling, punch, he's yelling all these things, but I'm not listening to the coach. I'm like, why did my strategy lose here, right? And it happens over and over again, and I lose that match. I walk away thinking, there's something else I can do. That guy, when he was winning, he was running up, he was inside, and he was just punching. Now, I knew the rules of Taekwondo and, and, and um, the tournament style. You get points for kicking, you get zero points for punching. But if there is a draw, if it is a tie on points, then the judge has to decide who is going to be the better uh, fighter. And so I got this great idea. I know what I'll do. I'm going to buck the whole system. I'm going to turn Taekwondo over on its head. I'm not going to kick at all. I'm just going to run up and punch this guy and chase them all around the ring so they can't punch, so they can't punch or kick me. It's genius. I won't get any points, but neither will they. And then the judges will have to score us, and they'll have to give me the points because at least I did something, right? That was my plan. I never ran it by my coach. I never ran it by anybody. And it worked. It worked. The next tournament, maybe a couple months later, the next tournament, I, the referee would say, go, and I would just rush in, and I would punch this guy in the chest. You can't punch in the face. You punch this guy in the chest and chase him all around the ring until for 30 seconds, and then time would be up, and then I would win. And it was working, and I was marching up the ranks again, and I felt like a genius. I felt like I had cheated Taekwondo, and I'm winning for it. My next, appointment, my next opponent was watching me. <laughs> or maybe his coach was, and he was talking with his coach. And my coach like, did not know what I was doing and was not okay with it, uh, but I didn't stop to listen to him. And, um, and he was watching me. And so he was ready for me. And when, um, when the referee said go, he just stuck his foot straight out. So I rushed in, and his foot got me in the chest, <laughs> and he got a point. Oh no. <laughs> it has broken down. And my, my coach is yelling at me something, and I can't listen to him. I'm not listening to him. I'm just strategizing. I'm just trying to figure out how do I win again? How do I get back inside? I can't, I haven't been practicing any kicks. I can't get a point on this guy because I, 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 I thought I found a loophole. I thought I was winning. 
I lost that tournament. I, as I grew up, I learned to listen to my coach. I learned to get a little bit better and to mix it up a little bit, punching and kicking a little bit. I think that we all do this from time to time when we are faced with a problem. Rather than thinking about, rather than talking to a coach, talking to somebody who's gone through it, rather than pausing, I think sometimes we look for a loophole. We look for a way that we can game the system, look for a way that we can get our ends a little bit quicker, cutting corners. And I don't know about you, but every time I do that, it doesn't always pan out the way I want it to, to work. Sometimes I think, you know what, I can do this my own way, cheaper and faster, but then it ends up taking longer and costing more, right? I think Jacob in this story is doing a little bit of that. Last week we talked about Jacob stealing from his brother Esau. Jacob and Esau, they are twins. They are the grandsons of Abraham, whom God said, I'm going to bless the world through you. This is God's plan. We call this kind of, I call it God's long-term rescue project. God knows that there's evil in this world, and we have to undo evil. God won't let evil stand. But rather than destroying the world to destroy evil, God says, I'm going to destroy evil by entering the world. I'm going to bring evil to an end by coming into the people's hearts, by joining the people. He says to Abraham, I've got a plan, and it's going to work through you. I'm going to bless you, and you and your family, they're going to bless everyone. Abraham says, great plan, love it, God. One problem, I can't have kids. God says, don't worry, I'll take care of that. (laughs) In his old age, in their old age, Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. Isaac Isaac marries Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah have Esau and Jacob. Rachel, or uh, Rebekah, for some reason, doesn't like Esau, her oldest son, and feels like God's blessing, there's not enough for everyone. And so Rebecca says to Jacob, Jacob, steal and take from Esau. Take his inheritance. Take his blessing. And so Jacob games the system of blessing. He does all this work to steal from his brother. He steals his inheritance. He steals his blessing, what he thinks is blessing. And for all this stealing, he ends up with nothing. Nothing. His brother vows to kill him, we heard in the story. His brother vows to, uh, to destroy him. And so he has to leave everything behind. He runs away. He is des- desolate in the, uh, um, he's desert, he's in the desert. And he's got nothing. He's got no money. He's got no family. He runs away. None of his cheating and scheming and his stealing ever got him anything. He's out in the desert. He's in the wilderness, the place where wild animals are, the place where bandits are. He has nothing for himself, so he takes a rock and he lays his head on the rock for his pillow. And when he is down and out, when Jacob has absolutely nothing, when he has hit rock bottom, then God says, now I can work with you. Now I can reveal myself, right? My next point is only when Jacob is vulnerable, when he stops, does God reveal what God is all about. Jacob is doing nothing. He's finally stopped scheming. He's finally stopped trying to take things. 
he has no choice but to rest. And God takes him in a vulnerable moment while he's sleeping, and he shows him something beautiful. He has a vision of a staircase or a ladder going up and down, connected to earth and connected to heaven. And up and down the ladder are God's angels, God's messengers. It's a vision that heaven and earth are much closer than you ever think. I think sometimes we think of heaven as this faraway place, this unreachable place where the souls of dead folks have gone, where God sits on a cloud far away enjoying whatever God and whatever people in heaven are doing, unencumbered by what is happening on earth. God's vision to Jacob is the opposite. It says what happens between heaven and earth is happening all the time. What happens on earth matters in heaven. What happens in heaven matters on earth. There is constant flow of angels and blessing and prayer and supplication between earth and heaven. Heaven and earth are connected. And then God speaks to Jacob the words that he spoke to Jacob's grandfather, the same promise. Jacob, I am with you. I am going to bless you so that you can bless the entire world. Now, Jacob's done nothing to deserve this, right? Jacob's done nothing to deserve this. He is not um, a, a good person, right? He's a thief. He betrays his brother. He's unloyal to family. He's done nothing to deserve this blessing. But God says, I want you, right? God's plan, God doesn't give up on his plan because of our failures. That's not who God is. God says, I've got a plan, Jacob. We're going to change the world. And through, uh, through you and your family, the whole world is going to be changed. God gives Jacob this vision of heaven and earth being put together. He says, I'm going to bless you to bless the world like he says to Abraham. But then he also says, I am with you. And here, God introduces the central theme, a central theme to the whole of Scripture, is that if you ever felt like you were alone, if you ever felt like God was not there, you are wrong. God is with you. God is with Jacob while he's in the desert. God is with Jacob when he has hit rock bottom, when he is down and out. God is with you. This is the central theme through Scripture. This is what we celebrate at the coming of Jesus. When Jesus' birth is announced, the angels say, his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The last words that Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew after the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus, leaves his disciples with these last words, I am with you always. The same exact words that God says to Jacob, I am with you always. God promises to bless Jacob, not because of anything he's done, but because God doesn't give up on God's plan to change the world. God is using Jacob. And these promises are promises for us. God says to you, to me, whether you are down and out, whether you are at your, your lowest or not, God says, I am with you, and I will use you to change the world. I will bless you to change the world. I love you. I will always be with you. Sometimes 
we can't hear that because we're too busy. We're too busy punching. We're too busy scheming. We're too busy turning taekwondo upside down, right? Sometimes we're too busy trying to solve problems and we don't pause. We don't pause to let God say something to us. Jacob was kind of forced to pause because he was on the run. His brother wanted to kill him. He had nothing. He was at rock bottom. I pray that we don't have to be at rock bottom for us to pause and hear God. I pray that we actually schedule and take time for ourselves to pause and hear God. When Jacob was in the wilderness, when he was sleeping on a rock, that was God's opportunity. That was God's window to show something to Jacob, to show Jacob that, hey, I've got you. I've got a whole plan, and you fit in that plan. God calls us to create those windows so that God can say to us, hey, I've got a plan. I'm with you. You fit into my plan. God said to the ancient uh, Israelites that were coming out of slavery, they said, in the Ten Commandments, he says, I want you to take one day a week. I want you to make it holy. Call it a Sabbath. No working on this day. And I want you to make it holy for me. I want you to take some time to stop and spend time with me, to listen, to give me a window to show you something truly amazing. That's what we're called to do. You might need to schedule your times in with God. You might need to schedule your times to stop. Because I'm busy, and I imagine you're busy too. But if we pause Give God an opportunity to talk that maybe God can show us something before we hit rock bottom like Jacob, right? Jacob receives this blessing. He wakes up from his dream. He is amazed. He says, God was with me this whole time and I never knew it. I never knew it. I was too busy. I was too busy scheming and cheating and stealing. So then Jacob has two responses. It's like, this is what I'm gonna do. Okay, the first response is I'm going to create space and time for worship. God's going to, or Jacob schedules and creates a place dedicated for worship. That's what we do, right? If God has blessed us, if God has been with us, then we need to create spaces and we need to create time dedicated for focusing on God. That's what, what, that's what this place is for. This place is dedicated as a place for us to rest and be with God and let God show us something. We create places of worship. Right? The second thing he does is he promises to give 10%, a tenth back to God's purposes. This is a practice that we still do today. We call it tithing. Tithing comes from the word tenth. Right? We're called to give back to God. Why? To create spaces where people can connect with God. To create ministries where children learn the stories of God to create ministries and send teams out into the world to change the world. If God, Jacob says, God, if you bless me, if you put clothes on my back and if you give me food for my daily needs, I'm gonna commit 10% back to you and back to your purposes. That's what we still call the church to do now. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, 
Pastor, you want me to give 10% of my income to the church? Uh, the answer is yes, and I understand how difficult and how crazy that sounds, right? It is difficult. It is difficult, especially if you have not had those habits of giving for very long, right? Um, we have, I mean, just this last couple of weeks, we, uh, the shuls, have been redoing our budget, taking a look at different things and kind of moving more onto a cash system. We kind of do a little bit better when we're dealing with cash. And we, we're going to give, Joanna and I, we give ourselves allowance. We give ourselves a little bit of cash each month that I can do whatever I want with my allowance. She can do whatever she wants with her allowance. And for this first time, we said, well, should we give the kids allowance? We're like, yeah, let's give the kids allowance. Let's give them five bucks a month each. And as we were trying to figure out how much cash to take out, um, we realized, well, wait a sec. Should we give them a $5 bill? Or should we start training, training them and teaching them? And we're going to give them four $1 bills, and we're going to give them four quarters. And every time they get their allowance, 50 cents will go to the church, and 50 cents will go into savings. And they're going to start training. That's the way my parents did it with me. And, you know, I trained from an early age, like every paycheck, every allowance, every gift, I gave 10% to the church. And so as I grew and as I earned more, it became, it was, you know, second nature to us. And God has continued to bless us. And when there's been times when it's been difficult to look at how we give and how we operate, we always, when, when we've had trouble, when um, there's job losses or, or difficulty, when we sit down and look at our budget, we look at the things that we can give up, we always take a look over at our giving and, whoa, we give a lot here at the church. Should we touch this? We say, well, has God blessed us? Has God been good to us? God has been good to us. And in a very difficult year with medical bills and, and all the things, we've asked the question, you know, what should we do with our giving? It's like, well, has God blessed us? Has God been with us? Has God fed us and has God clothed us? Have our kids ever missed a meal? No, we can't touch this giving because God has been good to us. We give $600 a month to the church because God has blessed us. God has been good to us, and so we give. And so I encourage you to give as well. I encourage you to give as well. Jacob, he receives this blessing from God. He says, God, if you are with me, if you will be my shepherd, if you will set out a table in front of me, then this will be the house of the Lord, Bethel, Bethel means, it's in Hebrew, Beth means house, El means God, house of God. And I will worship you, and I will give back to you out of what you've given to me. This is Jacob's promise as he leaves that place and as he moves forward. I don't want to ruin the story, but God does bless Jacob. <laughs> and through Jacob, whose name will change to Israel? Through Israel and Israel's family. God has blessed and is blessing the world. If God has blessed you and is blessing you, then I encourage you to give and commit to giving to God's purposes. I always like to end the service with a couple of action steps. We call them next steps every now and then. The first one is you gotta schedule times to stop with God. 
You gotta schedule, find ways that you can stop with God. Don't be like Jacob and wait till you hit rock bottom, but find places where you can pause and be with God. Create space and time to dedicate yourself to listen and to look to God. That's number one. Number two is help create spaces for worship and give to God, right? Give to God through the church. Um, talk about giving every now and then. Talk about, I, I like that, I like being able to talk about giving uh, when it comes up in the scriptures rather than to like take a look at the budget and be like, oh, got to change my sermon this week, right? I don't like doing that. But I like talking about giving when it comes up in the scriptures because it is a normal thing. It is a regular thing in the scriptures to understand that everything we have is a gift from God and so we are called to give back to God so that the blessing continues so people can connect with God, children can learn, people can be sent into this world. Um, uh, not long ago, or last year, uh, I was talking about giving, and uh, one of the families, I know, I understand that giving 10% is a high capacity. If you aren't there, I understand that. But I encourage you to think about giving and increasing, and what can you do to get yourself there? A year ago, a family said, you know, Pastor, uh, we, didn't, we don't know much about giving, we don't know much about giving in the church, um, we give $5 a week because that's kind of just whatever cash we have in our pocket, but we're going to commit to giving $10 a week. I said, great, great. A little time goes by, I asked them about, hey, how have you, how have you seen that change in your life? And they said, first thing, we don't notice that extra $5 gone. We don't notice that extra $5 gone. And truthfully, our participation in the church has gone up. Our commitment to, to the church has gone up. And we actually feel closer to God than we have in a long time. I was like, yes, that's beautiful. So everyone here, they went from $5 to $10. I'm not asking you this morning to give 10% of your income. I'm just asking you to double what you give. That's all I'm asking, right? <laughs> Easy. It's not a problem. And you're going and, and to win. It's going to be good. No. Uh, you know, I... I'm, I'm saying if God has blessed you, then give. Some pastors will say, God, if you give, then God will bless you. I'm not gonna make that promise. I'm not gonna make that promise. But I will testify. I will testify that we give. And we've never gone without. And when things look bleak, God has blessed us and changed our lives. So I don't know. You know, um, I can't promise you that Whatever you put in the offering plate, God is going to bless you 10 times more or whatever. But I can testify that we've always been regular givers and God has blessed us beyond our wildest imaginations with everything we have. So I encourage you to give and consider giving. And then the last thing is when you do give to the church, when you do create spaces for worship, we have to organize ourselves and figure out how we're going to spend that money. In our church, we do that through a leadership team. We call it church council. The church council's primary function is to oversee the vision, the finances, and the policies of the church. And we need you. We need your voice. We need your opinion. We need your help. So that we spend the money that is given to this church in good ways, ways that please God. So if God is speaking to you this morning about ways to get involved and ways to step up, um, consider getting involved in leadership and helping us determine how God wants us to spend this money. God has this plan to save the world. It's not going to be, it's not going to happen by destroying the world. It's going to happen by entering the world. He starts with this family. 
And into the third generation of this family, we got knuckleheads that are stealing and taking and are trying to kill each other. And God says, I can still work with this family. I can still work with you. I'm with you. I'm going to change the world through you. Be with me.